You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's another typical February day, mostly cloudy, a little bit of sprinkles, maybe a chance of rain. Uh, here and there, and uh, and maybe even a chance of the sunshine breaking out now and then, because it's Oregon. Wait five minutes and the weather will change. So we got a lot to talk about today on the Bo's Nose Show, but I always want to remind people that you can control the topic here. All you have to do is call in at 646-721-9887. Just press one so we know you want to get in on the show. And uh, you can control the topic. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. So tomorrow, I am going to get up at, oh, my God, in the morning and drive up to Salem for the Timber Unity rally there. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, just take a moment and let folks know that we are you know, going there, and I just wanted to note a couple things, you know, for folks that might be going up there. Um, you know, leaving early is a good idea. In fact, there's a lot of people that are actually staying the night because the traffic could be could be pretty interesting. But they have a couple places where you can park and get a ride over, um, which is the Volcano Stadium uh, Park and Ride, and. Uh, you know, you can probably Google that. The Polk County Fairgrounds is the other place, but that's trucks only. Um, I think in this uh, Salem Fairgrounds, so there are a couple of places they're running um, and all that. So, you know, if you need information, um, you know, the Timber Unity folks uh, can share that information, but generally, uh, 7 a.m. is when things are starting up there at the Capitol. So I, I am leaving here at like 5 a.m. Uh, and uh, and the Capitol doors open at 8. Um, they have a big tent. And, uh, you know, they got all sorts of good things going on. And uh, at 10 a.m. is when all the speakers kind of get started. Um, and... It should be a fun day of lobbying up there in Salem, uh, you know, because that's really what it's all about. This is about to go there and convince the legislature to not just do something as complex as cap and tax and spend, 
or they like to call it cap and trade or cap and invest. You know, no matter how you look at it, it's going to be a tax. And um, doing that, you know, hugely complex bill, the bill itself is over 80 pages with thousands of pages of reference documents. And um, in fact, on the first day of session on Monday, an amendment was dropped on that, the dash two amendment, which was another 30 pages to try and read and figure out. So um, that's a lot to, to handle in a short session and, and pass. Um, it, you know, if anything, if they want to do something about this in the short session, refer it to the voters. Let us vote on it. But we'll get back to cap and trade here in a little bit. I wanted to talk a little first about um, yesterday's Board of Commissioners meeting and just kind of the direction our Board of Commissioners is heading. Um, needless to say, things have kind of taken a turn for the progressive on our Board of Commissioners. And they kind of were gentle about doing that in their first 12 months of controlling our board. Now they're basically just going to start ramming stuff through. And part of that is uh, this whole desire just to push ahead with dealing with, quote, the housing crisis and homelessness at the cost of everything else going on in, in the county. And I talked the last couple of weeks about the fact that the Board of Commissioners was getting ready because the state of Oregon was putting out uh, some grant money and to chase that money, they were willing to sacrifice a usable piece of our fairgrounds. And it's usable because it's outside the flood, 100 year flood zone and, uh, and is currently a blank field, which makes you know, the, the capability of using it to put something that's displaced by constructing other facilities temporarily in that area, and maybe even to construct something new there. Uh, and in the long run, you know, put some permanent um, full hookup RV camping in that area. But still, our board chose to give that property away permanently yesterday, even in the face of knowing they could have used another piece of property. The former Musgrove Mortuary property at 11th and Charlton is under contract by Homes for Good. And they and is zoned correctly for a residential development, and they could use that for that grant application. But the thing is, the board is so greedy about trying to get state money and also federal tax credit money, they want to wait and use that property for a different funding source instead of maybe saying, you know what, let's use that property for the state tax money and let's buy another piece of property for the federal sources. No, they want to give away fairgrounds property. And I wanted you to know that some of the folks that, that portrayed themselves as moderates coming into their elections and getting elected to our board of commissioners that are now making up our progressive majority on our board voted to do this, despite the fact that I pointed those facts out to them, despite the fact that they did little to no public process no public hearings on this and marched on ahead. And even though Chair Buck, Heather Buck, 
who represents East Lane County, which is, you know, got a significant amount of rural areas, and those rural folks are, have a vested interest in our fairgrounds, gave away that piece of property without ever talking to those folks. So, you know, just an example of voting against the best interests of your district. I was the only one that voted against that move yesterday because my rural constituents, about 95 to 99%, sent me emails saying, save the fairgrounds, don't give that property away, don't do that. I think I have one email from somebody out in my district that actually said, yeah, we, we, we should be doing housing no matter what. You know, before we have master planning work, you know, with other properties available, we should still give up this piece of the fairgrounds, a place that employs 600 people and brings in $37 million a year in economic activity. We should start chopping it up without a lot of thought because we're in a crisis. You know, government makes its worst decisions when it's trying to deal with a crisis. So that happened yesterday. And if that's not bad enough, we also passed a board order. Again, I was the only one that voted against this, that adopted um, some climate, uh, it was basically a resolution supporting our, our climate plan. And in addition to doing that, had attached to it a document that was generated out of uh, UN um, offices uh, for a declaration of human rights and climate change. And in that declaration, there's you know a couple clauses in there that basically talk about giving animals and the environment, i.e. inanimate objects, rights <laughs> that they, you know they have a right to um healthy climates you know which you know is, is their their way of putting it and and a, and a healthy environment um you know which is kind of interesting i wonder if mother nature knows that every time she lights up a new volcano somewhere that the uh the plants and 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 the environment around the volcano had had a right to be there before she decided to destroy them with the volcano. Uh, but, you know, if you follow the logic of that, it closely matches something that was proposed and, and didn't successfully get on the ballot here and was completely defeated at the ballot box in Benton County when it did get on the ballot, which is this idea called uh, community rights, where um, basically, uh, you know, the similar... Um, the environment has rights, you know, and that third parties can sue other people for violating the environment's rights. And that's basically what this UN resolution, if you followed it to its to its ultimate conclusion, would allow, which, you know, one of the reasons it got voted down in Benton County, not exactly a conservative bastion, was people understood it would lead to a bunch of frivolous lawsuits against their farm and and forest uh, communities out there, and just about anybody else they wanted to sue, you know, even a city or something like that. Um, and it would just, you know, be a mess, you know, to, to have that capability. 
But uh, our once again, our progressive majority you know, ran that on through, um, even though I, I asked them to at least pull that off of the, the, the declaration um, connected with that out, out of the board order. They wouldn't even do that, um, let alone the fact that the whole issue of climate change is based on um, exaggerations of science. Um, you know that it's not as bad in a, in a crisis they claim it is. And once again, people in government like to declare things are a crisis because then they have the power to do things they shouldn't normally do, and people seem to accept that. Think about some of the worst things governments have done over history. And it's usually because they claim there's some crisis that they had to deal with. So they could take inordinate powers that they no wouldn't normally have and do things they wouldn't normally do and get the populace and the governed to accept that because they were dealing with a crisis, you know. So here we go again, another crisis. First, we're going to give away the fairgrounds because we have a crisis. And then we're going to start um, causing frivolous lawsuits and hurting our rural economy over a, another crisis. Um, once again, our chair and the East Lane Rural Commissioner voted again to support something that is damaging to her rural constituents. And if that's not enough, um, you know, we spent the morning talking about public safety quite a bit. Uh, first, we had a report back from the Public Safety Coordinating Council, and the work plan work group there finished drafting um, a revision of our public safety repair plan, and we, uh, the board unanimously approved adopting that. And in that public safety repair plan, they go through everything from the sheriff's office to the DA to the court systems to the public defenders to things like Kids First and our uh, reentry services, parole, probation, the whole system um, that interacts as, as part of the, the public safety system uh, for um, crime, the crime side of things, not, not fire and life um, here in Lane County. And every part of that system had at least gotten past the initial phase when they first drafted this plan. The first draft of this plan came out in 2014. And the first phase of that was to try and save what we have and hold on to our existing capacity. And then everyone's moved into the second part, which is to start building additional capacity with the exception of the Lane County Sheriff's Office Police Services, i.e. Rural Patrol. That's still stuck back in phase one. Now, mind you, one of the reasons why we got had to go back to just trying to rescue what we have back in 2014 was we lost our timber money. And in fact, we specifically lost our Oregon and California railroad lands money we get from BLM that comes into our general fund, of which 65% of our general fund gets spent on public safety. So it was the loss of those ONC timber monies that created the crisis. 
And the only reason we've rebuilt some of these things is we've rebuilt them with some state funds. We've rebuilt some of it by having to go to the voters and asking them to tax themselves through property taxes. And, that, and there's a limitation on being able to do that. All of this used to be funded. All of it. With just our, our minimal amount of property tax the county collects. You know, we have we have the the fourth lowest property tax rate of all the counties in Oregon. We used to be able to pay for it with that and federal timber money. So there is an organization of, of those Oregon and California railroad lands counties, the Association of ONC counties, that sole purpose is to fight for those replacement dollars from the federal government and ultimately to try and bring back enough harvest on those lands to fund the counties that have ONC lands. Because those are federal lands not paying taxes into the counties. And were intended actually to go back to the counties to go into private ownership when they originally were released by the railroads. But our board decided to stop paying dues and withdraw their membership from that organization last year. So knowing that rural patrol that affects rural citizens is our worst and most lagging piece of our public safety system, and the one place we could look for possibly other than asking taxpayers to pay more property taxes on top of everything else we keep asking them to pay for, would be to rejoin that organization and fight for those replacement dollars and, in addition, getting those harvest levels back up to where we don't need to have that charity from the federal government. We're actually getting the income from the timber sales and benefiting from the jobs they create. I brought up at the end of our board meeting a request to reconsider that decision and to have it come back on a board agenda. And I was looking for three commissioners to nod their heads to agree to have that on a future agenda. Commissioner Farr and myself both, agree, both nodded our heads and said we want to have that on a future agenda. Progressive majority, the other three members, sat there and refused to even dis to allow it to come back to the board for discussion. Once again, Chair Heather Buck, by not nodding her head, voted against the interests of her rural district not participating in the association of ONC counties is one of the ways we could possibly get sustainable operational funding for rural patrol and the rest of our public safety system. So if you're counting, that was three times against the fairgrounds. Oh, and by the way, when we first started discussing the fairgrounds, Chair Buck talked about getting rid of the entire fairgrounds. So not only does she want to get rid of a piece of it, she'd like to get rid of the whole thing. 
So the fairgrounds, which rural residents like, climate change and, and things that will make it difficult for farmers to stay in business and foresters, and then not supporting our efforts to get harvest back on the ONC lands. Three times, Chair Buck voted in opposition to the best interests of her rural district. There's only two rural commissioners in Lane County. By charter, the rest of our commissioners are considered metro and represent North Eugene, South Eugene, and Springfield as their designated districts. There's two rural commissioners, I in West Lane, Chair Buck in East Lane. Yet three times that rural commissioner voted against the best interest of rural Lane County. So that's kind of what was going on at the board yesterday. And it's going to probably get worse next week. We're going to be talking about housing again. And one of the things they're bringing up is a request to talk about ways they can get more funding for housing. And when they talk about more funding, what they mean is more taxes, more fees from you in here in Lane County, instead of maybe trying to make the federal government pay their fair share of what costs to run local government here because they're not paying it right now. We're also gonna be talking about white nationalism next week. And I don't even know why that's coming up, but that's that, but it is. But you know, that's our new progressive board majority. Those are the important things we're gonna be talking about instead of how we can fund rural patrol, you know, and other issues that are important and critical matters of county concern, not climate change. So speaking of climate change, I'm going to go back to my timber unity hat here. And, you know, and one of the reasons why I'm going up to Salem is just that I represent a rural district. I also represent the district that has the majority, close to 90% of all of the ONC timber lands that are in Lane County. So this idea of cap tax and spend, you know, that they want to do for the climate is going to be so damaging to the farm economies, uh, for the farmers that have to buy diesel fuel, you know, for all those hay farmers and, and uh, seed farmers uh, in the Junction City area uh, of my district, for uh, all those folks that are raising beef out in the Lorraine Valley, you know, farming is a fuel intensive um, as, you know, uh, profession. You know, it takes energy to farm. Fertilizer takes energy to make. So it, it's, you know, when they think about this, they're going to be hurting the farmers. They're also going to be hurting the forest economy. Is that another, you know, energy intensive uh, for harvest, at least, you know, most of the time it's actually taking sun 
the energy of the sun and converting it to make that wood. So it's a solar industry when you really think about it. Uh, but there is, you know, the actual harvest and transport of the logs and running the mills and everything else takes energy. And this whole cap and tax is about increasing the cost of energy in Oregon quite a bit. They say the impact to gasoline may be 72 cents a gallon increase. That your utility bills will go up by somewhere around 16 to, to 30%, depending on whose estimates you look at. Who's, who can least afford that? Who is still on the edge of recovering from the last financial downturn? You know, Portland's recovered all their jobs, you know, several years ago. We've just barely come back above the job levels we had in 2008 before the recession here in Lane County. And when you get out in the rural areas, it, you know, we're just getting there. So I'm going up to the Timber Unity Rally to represent rural Lane County and their interest in preventing our legislature in a short session from doing irreparable permanent harm to our rural economies. And, and the bill's just a bad bill to start with. But, you know, I want folks that, you know, might be listening to Bo's Nose Show down there on the coast to know that Senator Roblin from, you know, that covers from Coos Bay all the way up to practically Lincoln City of the coast is a key vote in this, but he's retiring now. So he kind of feels like he can kind of, you know, the, 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 he doesn't have to answer to his district as much. You guys need to remind him that he still has to answer that district. You need to be calling him and asking him to stand strong for those rural economies. Speaking of a, a district, I didn't even mention the fishing industry. You want to talk about an industry that, that fuel prices are, are impactful to, um, you put fuel in one of those commercial fishing boats and see how many hundreds of dollars ring out at that marina <laughs> as you load fuel on one, one of those boats. Believe me, I, I, my brother's a commercial was a commercial fisherman on the East Coast. I've been at the docks with him when he's filled up. <laughs> I do not want to have to pay that credit card bill. Um, but Senator Roblin needs to hear from you all. In fact, there's a group out there that's organizing and putting some radio ads on in the coastal areas, asking people to contact him. And Robin, if you want to cue that up and play this ad that I got from a friend of mine, because a friend of mine is actually the uh, voice in this ad, uh, Jennifer King Wagner, who is the, you know, part of the King family of R&R King Logging. So we want to cue that up and let's listen to Jennifer. I'm Jennifer King Wagoner. It seems like politicians in Salem are always cooking up new ways to take our money. Logging companies like ours wonder how much longer we can hang on. Last year, the legislature passed a billion dollar tax on company sales, and that hit us hard. Now, Senator Roblin is retiring, and he's considering leaving us with a cap and trade plan that could devastate our industry put thousands of people out of work and won't even help the environment. Our family logging company in Florence has been in business for three generations. 
We employ 70 people with good paying jobs and benefits, and we love to see them succeed. We pride ourselves in being good stewards of the land, and we want to keep this company going for our children and our community. Call 503-986-1705. Tell Senator Roblin to stand up for us and say no to cap and trade. Paid for by Priority Oregon. And they actually didn't have to pay to put it on the Bo's Nose Show because this is internet radio and I can put on whatever I feel like. <laughs> With their permission, that is. And I did get permission to play, play that on the show. Um, so folks down there in the Florence area, you know, or you know, even get out there to Walton and uh, and some areas of that side of the county. You guys need to be talking to Senator Rowland. You need to make sure he stands strong on this. And in fact, if you're over in the Springfield side of, of Lane County, you need to be talking to Senator Byer. He seems to be completely bought into this crazy idea. And by crazy, I mean crazy. I'm going to ask. Um, for Robin to put a graphic up on the screen just to talk a little bit about how crazy this whole idea is, because what they're trying to do with this legislation is to bring us back to levels of, you know, carbon emissions, you know, that previous generations, you know, by certain dates and, and even below those levels. And, uh, if, if you're looking at this graphic, which I hope uh, Robin's got up there. Robin, you got it up there? Yeah, it's up there. Okay. I'm not seeing it on my feed, so that's why I just want to make sure it was up there. Oregon's per capita energy consumption over time. Now, why is that important? Because basically your energy consumption equates to carbon footprint, almost, almost one-to-one, because uh, this also includes gasoline and everything else in this energy consumption. Because if you notice, it's in BTUs, which, you know, that's your electric bill, that's your gas you're putting in your tank, whatever else. This is data that comes from the state, by the way, Oregon Department of Energy, so it's not some cooped up data. If you notice, we are actually lower in energy consumption per person in Oregon than we were in 1960. So to think that somehow or another we're going to get below the greenhouse gas emission targets that they want to get to, the only way to do that is to drive people's economic well-being down below because you know energy consumption is basically your standard of living. It, you know it's going to be to drive it down pre-1960 levels, far below that or they're going to have to establish some kind of population control in Oregon. You know, maybe they can get people, you know, build the wall at that Oregon-California border and stop people from moving up from California because they're moving up here because they're escaping the $5 gallon gasoline prices down there that are caused by California's cap, tax and spend bill. You know, don't Californicate Oregon. But that is just the reality that we've really actually already met some of our greenhouse gas emission goals. The problem is, is our population's growing. And unless you're going to be do something draconian about population and get into, you know, get as powerful of government as China is, where they can tell people how many kids they can have and then close down an entire 
you know, province, which is basically the size of, of most countries, <laughs> and shut all down all travel internally, um, you know, buried people without notifying anybody. Uh, it just, uh, yeah, they, they 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 got a little bit too much power in the Chinese government. I don't want Oregon to have that kind of power. So we really need folks to be talking to our, our legislators and maybe even talking to our Republican senators because they need to be encouraged that if things are going south, they need to do what they did in the last session. They need to end up out of the state and do another walkout because it isn't just the cap and trade legislation they're pushing through. But just so you understand, not only is this legislation going to devastate rural Oregon's economy, it's also going to exempt itself from public records laws. That all the various, you know, how much money is being collected, where it's being transferred to, how it's being spent, all those records, they're in the actual bill, they're exempting them from public records requests. Now, why in the world would you want to do that? Unless you were planning on using those funds corruptly and hiding them, you know, that is just a recipe for corruption. You know, it's bad enough we've got um, out-of-state attorney's offices contributing to our state treasurer's campaign because he's the one that actually picks who, who the state uses for legal services which are millions of dollars of contracts. Um, you know, it's bad enough stuff like that's going on that Kate Brown took, you know, lots of money from uh, folks that provide services to the state. Uh, you know, somehow or another, that's got to end. But now we're going to, to, in a bill that is going to be a massive taxation structure, we're going to hide the records and put that right into the bill. not in a short session, not without a vote of the people. And Republican senators, I encourage you to use your capability of walking out and denying a quorum, because that's written into the state constitution for a reason. I'd support it if the Democrats were, were doing that. It's an option. It's not not doing your job, it's part of doing your job. You have that decision point you have to make when it's in the best interest of the people to use that constitutional quorum to stop action in the legislature. Oregon won't fall apart because the legislature stopped meeting. So just saying. So I'll be up there tomorrow fired up. Come on. Let's get the Get up there. Uh, it, it should be exciting. They're talking about over a thousand trucks in the in the convoy coming to Salem. So I'm going to take a deep breath. I threw a lot of red meat out there. Six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. If you want to bite on some of that bait, uh, you know, you want to talk climate change science with me, we can go at it. If you want to talk the economics of the climate tax and spend uh, bill. We can talk about that too. We want to talk about the ethics of hiding the records in this right in the bill. 
um, we can talk about that. Again, 646-721-9887, just press one. So Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire knows you want to get in on the conversation because uh, it certainly is a, a, a day to have a conversation, uh, whether it's climate change and cap and trade. Cap, I, don't, I, shouldn't, I hate calling it cap and trade. It's cap and tax and spend because that's what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, this is about generating revenue for our legislature to spend. Just like the, quote, school bill that they passed last year was really all about taxation. And, you know, like, you know, that commercial that I played noted, that was a billion dollar a year tax they passed. And our schools are, you know, that are supposed to benefit from it are actually seeing their contracts for construction go up, their supply contracts go up because those companies are all having to pay that tax, whether they're making a profit or not. So we can talk about all that, or we could talk about the State of the Union, which I have to admit I did not watch. I've watched bits and pieces of, of it since then, but um, I just it's difficult for me to watch those kinds of speeches because the the standing up and cheering or the sitting on the hands and the grumbling and stuff like that just drives me crazy. It drove me crazy when it was a Democrat that was president. It drives me crazy when it's Republican. The way that's changed over the years with that that partisan cheering and up and down and 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 all that stuff, it, it's too difficult for me to watch. I don't think I've watched a live State of the Union um, in years um, just because of that. It just, you know, it, it drives me crazy. I think the last time I watched one was um, uh, George W. Um, in 2002 after um, the, um, nine, you know, 9-11 the year before. Jay, you know what would have really been uh, icing on the cake right after that? Yeah. If they had a sponsor from the pins. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was, uh, it just seems like it's such a, uh, a, a, um, a, you know, a bunch of crybabies and stuff in that, that crowd. You know, how can you, sit on your hand, grumble and, and all that when we're talking about how well our 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 nation is doing. You know, how can that be a bad thing? Well I'm looking at these guys at the audience on both sides, that pick particularly on the Democratic side, with people sitting there, you know, playing on their phones and everything and thinking, these people were all elected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, everybody plays on their phones nowadays. Yeah, but you're not really supposed to do it in uh, during the State of the Union, or at least kind of pretend that you're somewhat paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the, the whole tearing up of the speech at the end was just, you know, bad form. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, it was kind of funny, Nancy didn't extend her hand out towards president, at least from what I saw till he was starting to turn away from her. Yeah. But, but supposedly he snubbed her. 
Yeah, and they, they're already crying racist. So, you yeah. know, the racist in the room was just um, exuberant. But uh, no, Nancy said that that was her way of demonstrating her disgust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, um, it is actually that handing of the speech is that actually meets the constitutional requirement of the State of the Union. The speech is actually not something that that has been historic. That's a modern-day invention. In, In the early days, the State of the Union was a letter from the president to Congress. Oh my God! Can you can? <laughs> I was just picturing Nancy Pelosi trying to read that. I, yeah. I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Even so, the, the whole the whole thing is that was the the official delivery of the State of the Union. When he handed her that document with his signature, that meets the constitutional requirement of delivering the State of the Union. The speech is not part of that requirement. So she tore up a constitutionally required document. Ah. Not that there's anything that says she can't do that, but still, that's, you know, just think about that a minute. Well, it's one of two documents that was officially turned over, the other one to the vice president, that would probably go in some archive somewhere. Yeah, well, it was turned to the vice president as the vice president sitting as the uh, Senate president um, at that that point in time. That's delivering it to Congress. You know, the, 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 you know, I could probably flip into my little pocket constitution here and find the exact section where it says, you know, once a year the president shall deliver to the Congress the State of the Union. Um, you know. And so 50 years from now, as uh, people are going through the presidential library, and then if you take a look to your right here, you will see remnants of the speech yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, which would be pretty funny. Yeah, so I'm trying to see if I can find um So in case anybody's wondering, this is our West Lane County Commissioner actually looking at the Constitution. Yes, yes. I'm trying to remember which part of section article two it's in, but um Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and if you'd like your own copy of the pocket constitution, uh, yeah. both. I, I, I particularly like Cato Institute's version because it does have a very nice um, preface that talks about the um, doctrine of enumerated powers, which is a very important issue. And, and yeah, you know, I would rather talk about that than the state of the union anyway. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you read, the Constitution's preamble, and then understand what the Constitution says, and then think about what the Bill of Rights did. The Constitution basically says, we the people form this government and, and, and are describing the powers we are giving this government. You know, that's basically what the preamble says. And you know, one of the reasons why I don't particularly like the Pledge of Allegiance is we gave that government power. We shouldn't be pledging to that government. The government officials should be pledging to the people. You know, 
And in that Constitution, we enumerated certain powers we were giving to the federal government. And it was really important to our founders that that was the case because they were afraid of a national government. They didn't want it to have more power than the states. They wanted it to be limited, extremely limited in its powers. But we have taken things like the General Welfare Clause and the Commerce Clause and expanded the power of the federal government well beyond its constitutional descriptions. But the, the idea of enumerated powers is, is that we, the people, are forming this government and giving it certain powers to protect our rights. And any powers we didn't specifically describe in this document it doesn't have because we don't want the government to have those powers to protect our rights. <laughs> we don't want China that can tell us how many children we can have. You know, that, you know, we don't want New York City telling us what size Cokes we can have. But, you know, it, it's, that's such an important piece of our, of our government. And understanding that and understanding that most of our state constitutions have a similar bent to them, that they're providing a certain grant of powers to state governments from the people. Because all power in America for government is derived from the people. Yeah, but how are you going to get by if somebody tells you that how big your soda can be? <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, being told whether I can have a plastic straw or a plastic bag. Yeah. Yep. yep. And and just remember, who brought you all those restrictions? Was it the Republican Party or the Democrat Party? Can I have my light bulbs back? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and actually that one was Republicans. God. <laughs> there are Republicans that lean towards that. That. You know what the neoconservatives of 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 the party and George W. Bush was one of them that kind of believed in some a, a, a more larger, more powerful government. You know, but it was just going to be under their control instead of Democrats' control. But you know, in some of the uh, energy concerns and all that environmental bills that under his administration, that whole issue around 100 watt light bulbs that got started with him. And those curly Q light bulbs, that was a Republican. So yes, sometimes the Republicans do it too. Uh, and they get dragged into it. I'm pretty sure that was a bipartisan piece of legislation. Um, but once again, on beyond the powers that we gave the federal government. No one told the federal government they should have the power to regulate light bulbs. What we said is they have the power to make commerce regular between the states. That's what that clause was about. Interstate commerce and to keep it smooth, you know, to prevent things like one state banning products from another state or, you know, setting up a tariff. That's not allowed under a constitution. And the arbiter of that is the federal government. They weren't supposed to get involved in regulating 
anything beyond how the states interacted. Read the language. It's well beyond that. And it's to promote the general welfare, not to provide for the general welfare. Well, going back to the plastic ban, here's my next prediction. You can now go, you can now go to Albertsons and they'll ask you paper or plastic because they have the new four millimeter plastic, which I, you know, the next. yeah, because now it's thicker and will probably wind up being in the same place. Although I, I do kind of like them. Of course, I could, I could tolerate the paper if the paper actually had handles on it, which some do. But yeah, to me, it's going to seem like that's going to put more plastic into the landfills. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the whole thing is, you know, those real thin plastic would, you know, cause problems with recycling because people didn't pull it out of the recycle and it would wrap up on the in the conveyor belts. And, you know, thicker plastic's going to get even worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and blowing, you know, how it blows around and ends up in, in bodies of water, supposedly. Um, even though the ugly secret is that China and India um, account for almost all the plastic pollution. And, and it's mostly coming from third world countries, not first world countries, um, you know, that still dump their, their garbage in, in rivers and, and the ocean um, where we landfill ours here. <laughs> you know, we aren't, we aren't the source. No. You know. And what's the most popular type of uh, coffee now for homebrew? K-cups. Yeah. Plastic. Plastic. Yeah, I like to buy mine whole bean and grind it. Yeah. Get it from the bulk session in a little paper sack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Man, when you go make coffee in the morning, everybody in the block radius knows about it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, when, if, if Elizabeth's still asleep, I have this method of covering the uh, grinder with towels so it muffles it. <laughs> There you go. Yep. I, I was just thinking of a muffler system for a grinder. Yeah, just, you, know, just, you know, towels, they work. Yeah. Hold them in half, you know, drape them over top of it, couple layers of towels, almost dead silent. That's Jay's home tip for the day. <laughs> the more you know. In yep. So, yeah, speaking of national politics, though, what a screw up for the Iowa caucuses for the Democrats or what, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of Oregon in some ways. Every time the state, and, is, and our state's been controlled by Democrats for a long time, gets into some piece of software, it goes gunny bags big time, you know? whether it's the DMV or whoever, it just seems like we can't get software right in the state of Oregon. So the Dems decide in Iowa that they're going to develop an app to, to submit their votes from the caucuses and all that stuff, and the app explodes or something like that. Well, either that or I, I, there's been other conspiracy theories about the fact that they didn't like who actually won, and this is their way of rigging the, the election in the background. But, uh, you know, the Democrats never do stuff like that. They never rig primaries. Um, but, uh, yeah, 
It was a coding error. Yeah. So coding error, whatever else, it unfortunately required the Democrats in Iowa to then use math. And we all know math is racist. Yes. <laughs> Especially when you take off your shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I still can't believe they haven't you know, reported full results on that. I, you know, it's not that populous of a state. A lot of those caucuses had less than 100 people attending. You could use a pad of paper and some, a pencil and a calculator and have gotten all tallied those reports in, and tallied the results by now. You know, just um, – <laughs> Well, you know why they thought that the results were wrong is because Joe Biden was supposed to be the front runner. And when the results came out, the, the people went, who? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I don't think they wanted Bernie Sanders to win, yet he's leading the total popular vote there. Although Pete uh, Buttigieg, I think I pronounced that correctly, um, is leading the uh, the the delegate counts. So, you know, the two of them are kind of claiming victory right now. And poor Joe, um, good old lunch pail Joe, <laughs> is is in fourth place in danger of actually falling into fifth place um, behind Amy Klobuchar because he's barely leading her. So what it's it, interesting, though, is that, you know, both Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden seem to really have fallen a long ways. They were supposed to be the big front runners between the two of them. And and really right now they're they're you know, it's you know, Bernie and Pete that, that definitely are the winners coming out of that primary. But just you know, the the, the mess up with the, the reporting of results and then the then the yeah, it seems like they just didn't want to give the opportunity for um, Bernie Sanders to to crow about this, and they tried to you know delay it and make it you know the strip drip of results and everything else. So he didn't get the opportunity on Monday night um, before he had to fly back to D.C. for the continued impeachment, um, and uh, you know he just basically. Um, was robbed of the opportunity to stand up and declare victory. You know, which you wonder who benefits from that? Hmm. Somebody that was handed the baton from another organization that previously used super delegates to keep Bernie Sanders from getting the nomination. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, yeah. Democrats, you have a house to clean up. <laughs> Actually, I think it'd be kind of interesting. Well, you know, uh, Mr. Sanders, uh, since you believe in socialism and everybody's equals here, well, we took all the votes and we divided them equally amongst all the runners. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't get them counted properly, and we thought there was some privilege involved in, in how they were being distributed and, and – uh, to make sure we're adhering to good social justice, we gave everybody equal number of votes. Yes. Yeah, that would that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't have even though you might have had better ideas and worked harder and had more energy in your campaign than the other folks, you don't get any more votes than Amy Klobuchar and Joe Biden. 
but, but, but. Well, that's what you've been wanting. Yeah. No, 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 no. They only want that when you know they can have the power to be the ones distributing that stuff. Ah. And, and, and then make the records behind how you're doing that exempt from being audited by the public or the media. Now we're back to cap spend and tax here in Oregon. Yeah. Brought that one back around, didn't I? I, I, I like the way you did that. The transition was just smooth. Yeah, smooth as so. Because yeah. I just want to end the program with a couple minutes left here talking about the big timber unity rally tomorrow in Salem. I'm going to be up there. I've got some extra people coming up in my car. It's going to be a fun day. Um, you know, lobbying our, our critters up there in the marble nut house. And, uh, you know, it, it's, this is really what um, American government's about. What's, we, what's the t-shirt that Lars Larson has been wearing about the governor? Yeah. I have <laughs> My governor's an idiot or something like that. Uh, yeah, we don't need to get into that sort of name calling. So that's great. Um, I'm just thinking a whole bunch of people wearing that up there. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that. We'll probably see a lot of that sort of stuff. I, I prefer not to attack the people. I prefer to attack the policy. There you go. And this is bad policy. And it's not only that, it's bad policy intended to be corrupted policy by the fact that they're going to hide the um, records from public view. How, it, there's only one reason you'd write that into a bill, because you don't want the public to see. Because either it's going to be, you know, they're going to be astounded by how much tax is being collected, or they're going to be astounded by how you're funneling it to places you didn't originally promise. All right, I'm going to ask a question that. Uh... Always wondered is when people are pushing for taxes like this, is somebody actually benefiting uh, financially or personally over this stuff? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, there are special interest groups that are pushing for all this stuff. You know, one, the public employees unions, because you know, they claim, you know, the, the, the folks pr pushing this legislation that they're, they're going to mitigate the harm by reinvesting the tax they'll be collecting um, in, the, in the economy. And when you think about it, setting up a place where you're going to have a new tax, because there has to be some, some public employees that do that, collect that tax, and then they're going to have to um, figure out how to redistribute that tax more public employees in charge of that. And of course, some of the recipients of that redistribution will actually be government programs, more government employees involved in that. And maybe some of it might be siphoned off because we can't see what the records are to backfill the PERS deficit, public employees benefit with that. So can you kind of see that maybe the uh, ASME and uh, the AFL-CIO, SEIU, and all the folks that represent public employees, why they're backing this legislation. It's a huge tax increase that supports public employees. And then, of course, there's various industries that will be targeted with the, quote, you know, reinvestment, like the windmill industries, the solar industries, and, and various, you know, 
folks that own those invest them and and by the way also contribute to you know the legislators that are pushing this um they're going to benefit you know so you, you always follow the money <laughs> yeah and and that's who benefits and then of course you know there'll be environmental groups that'll help you know decide who gets those benefits and and a lot of those groups um are also contributing to some of these legislatures pushing this. So it's just, you know, follow the money. Well, in the, in the couple minutes left, is there um, any place in Eugene where people are meeting to head up to Salem? I don't know if there's an exact spot um, where folks are meeting to head up there as a group. Um, I I think probably your best bet is from, from here to head up to either the um, uh, Benton County Fairgrounds there in Rickreel is one of the places they're going to have people parking and, and all that, or head up to the um, uh, Salem Fairgrounds. Uh, and, and, I, and give me half a second, I can go back to my email that had some of that information. Um, yeah, yeah, no, sorry, not the Salem Fairgrounds. Yeah, Salem Fairgrounds is one of the places, but I think probably one of the best places for passenger vehicles to park is the Volcanoes Stadium in Kaiser, Oregon. So you're going to kind of have to, you know, and there's there's going to be a $5 charge for parking all day there, but there's shuttles that will be running every 30 minutes back and forth beginning at 7 a.m. So that's, you know, if if you want to try and find carpooling or something like that with other people, um, you know, I still have a couple spots left in my vehicle. Folks want to PM me on Facebook. Um, but I'm meeting folks out here in Benita. I'm leaving from Benita. I've seen other people, you know, ask about that. Um, you know, I would just, you know, throw something out there on Facebook asking people to, you know, uh, personal, you know, use the, the messenger side of Facebook to get back to you um, if they want a carpool. But I suggest heading for that um, Salem uh, Volcano Stadium. And I would suggest aiming to be there before seven o'clock because you want to beat the the truck convoys into town which should start arriving shortly after that so that's my recommendations for tomorrow that's about it for the bose nose show i hope to see a bunch of you tomorrow up in salem uh, i'll be there with my timber unity cap on my bright orange t-shirt for Timber Unity, and uh, hopefully we can convince our Salem folks to back away from the edge of the precipice, and if they won't, at least put it to a vote of the people, and maybe we can provide the backbone for the Republicans, maybe to you know to, to use the nuclear option if they need to. We'll be back next week on the Bo's Nose Show to talk about how the whole rally went and other issues here in Lane County, the state of Oregon, and the nation. We'll see you next week here at 4 p.m. live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening.